so what what sales leaders often do or fall into the trap of keep looking at dollar based metrics so what's the sales number what's the revenue number maybe at the most what's the the profitability number and and kind of start ignoring the rest uh, what that puts you in a trap especially in a position like covid depending on the kind of business you are so for example right you may have sold really big deals in q4 of last year before covid and then your covid q1 q2 revenue is so high because you sold a lot of subscription deals but that doesn't really tell you anything about the health of the business it just makes you think you are doing very good on revenue when in actual in actuality q1 q2 you've not done much sales so your q3 and q4 is going to be very bad hey everyone it's tom here from soco sales training we are about to get started with another great episode of the selling in asia podcast i am so excited about today's topic in particular because with us today we've got vishal salunke now he's a seasoned sales operations leader with expertise in business operations and commercial effectiveness spanning across software and IT services, e-commerce and shipping industries. Now, he is currently leading company-wide sales operations and enablement for Carousel across its eight countries of commercial presence. Now, if you're not familiar with Carousel, so if you've had your head in the sand for a few years, Carousel Group is one of the world's largest and fastest growing classified marketplaces with multiple brands in Southwest Asia, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Myanmar, Australia, just to name a few, and in fact, my home country of Canada. So, without further ado, I want to introduce uh, Vishal. Uh, Vishal, welcome to the Selling in Asia podcast. Great to have you here. We have a brand new management mastery course out now, which covers how to manage and lead teams in today's environment. You can sign up to join the course at the link in the show notes at sellinginasiapodcast.com. Thanks, Tom. Awesome. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. We are going to be talking about one of my favorite topics and a very important topic, which is enabling sales leadership through data insights. So. Why don't you just kind of kick us off? We're just going to have a nice conversation about this topic. Why is this so important? So, uh, Tom, I think, uh, in, you know, uh, to give context, right, sales or uh, any revenue generating function is the backbone of any company. That, that's what pays the bills. And, and then sales operations, in, in, my, in my opinion, and, and uh, in, in terms of that context, is the foundation of, of that team. It's the backbone of that team in terms of enabling them, in terms of uh, providing optimization, providing data, providing uh, the whole foundation of, of reports, analysis, go-to-market, uh, uh, you know, in terms of compensation, incentivizing them the right way so that they, they do a, show the right behaviors. So so overall, it's it's end-to-end -end foundation of, of this revenue-generating teams that makes sales operations very relevant uh, in, in today's world So and also important. So why don't we talk a little bit about uh, how sales operations and sales enablement has changed since the 1990s? Because we're hearing so much more about sales enablement now over the last maybe two or three years, and, and it's becoming more prevalent and, and, and more common. And there's more organizations which are focusing on this. A lot of uh, roles within companies are specific to sales operations or sales enablement. So maybe you can kind of talk us through sort of the evolution of sales ops and uh, sales enablement. That, that's a really great question, Tom. So uh, 
you know, unlike vanilla functions like marketing, sales, finance, sales operations is fairly new. Uh, I think you you uh, you probably read about this, so so you know it started about somewhere in the '90s with a lot of tech companies evolving uh, the the way they sell and and their overall go to market. Uh, what what the companies realized was the the sales account managers or the sales reps were spending a lot of time. Uh, doing menial tasks and, and tactical tasks. So the origin of sales operations is actually uh, born with this idea of having tactical tasks move out to, to this backend team, uh, which will then make the sales people more productive, the sales leaders more productive. And that's how it started off in, in the 90s with just uh, pure commodity uh, kind of fulfillment related functions or back office that was set up. Um, but but it, it evolved really fast, especially with you know the dot-com boom uh, the, the internet boom, uh, you know, uh, improving in improvement in terms of tech, in terms of data, in terms of the volume of sales that went up. We fast, uh, uh, the, the team evolved very fast into more like a, a high level capability uh, in terms of from the commodity structure. You saw them uh, doing a lot of specialized tasks like reporting, like enablement, like incentives, uh, sales price books, and the others. Uh, that that's what probably that shift happened around the 2000s or, or you know late late uh, kind of 2010 in my opinion. Uh, from there we are today where you know we've got into the age of apps and and the age of TikTok and Facebook and Instagram, uh, where, where data and and you know big data has become even more relevant. Sales data is even more humongous today. Uh, with that the the attention span of sales leaders has even gone down so to speak so so that's where the the role has evolved into more like what i call as the co-driver or a navigator uh, from a rally car uh, analogy right and and this is where the sales operations uh, lead is always joined in the hip with the respective uh, sales head or the commercial head of any organization providing uh, real-time insights, providing, uh, you know, just, just navigation or pace note kind of insights to make sure the business is always successful. There's someone constantly looking uh, at where we are in terms of where we want to go, what, what's the speed at which we're going, what adjustments do we need to do, what's the course correction we need to do, and continuously feed those insights to uh, the leader so that they are more successful. So that's that's been the whole evolution, I would say, so far. So it's so fascinating, Vishal, because it, you know, when I think about this, and I think for a lot of our viewers and listeners out there, uh, you know, depending on the size of your organization, maybe if you're a smaller organization, possibly you're saying, hey, I, I seem to wear multiple hats, right? And I think this is one of the challenges, you know, in, in some smaller organizations, you've got people who are the sales leader. What does that mean to be the sales leader? Well, you're, you're the sales manager, or you're the sales coach, or you're the internal sales trainer. You're handling sales operations. You're also handling sales enablement. So there are so many different distinctions. And it's so fascinating that it's only been in the last few years that we've been actually pulling out, we've been extracting all of these complementary yet distinctive elements and, and, and roles. So, you know, so what's, what's, your, what's your take on that, Vishal? I mean, obviously, you know, there's not really a question in there, but what's, what are your thoughts or observations around just so many different hats that a lot of people are wearing in smaller organizations and the importance of pulling these out into distinct, uh, you know, roles or functions? So, so again, that's another good question. And, and this is where I said uh, the evolution is more important as a, as a baseline for this talk is because uh, the sales leadership 
role itself has has matured and evolved into something so complex uh the sales operations role and extension has has also kind of mirrored that that uh, evolution and that's where the different parts uh become more important and relevant there are smes now for every function you see the different jobs uh online for different companies you see a sales incentive expert you see a sales enablement expert you see a, a sales reporting expert a data insights expert and and then these are the sme roles supporting just the sales operations leader who's supporting the sales leader uh, so so that's that's the the level of evolution but but the the key thing to to note here is what that also means is it's extremely important for the sales operations leader to to then become the chief of staff or or be joined in the hip to stitch all of those different parts together for the sales leader so that Uh, the way i call it is business can go do business and and not really think about all of these other parts which are in the background uh, the 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 show that gets run by the sales operations leader and the execution that happens by them on the on the non important non customer facing tasks while the sales leaders and the sales reps are more focused on on customer facing tasks so to really help so thanks michel so to really help our our listeners and and viewers to really um get a sense as to you know what 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 those distinctions are how would you define sales operations and then how would you define sales enablement and i know that i've chatted with a lot of people about this and i live and breathe this every single day and almost every person i talk to has a slightly different take on this so i'm curious to hear yours what sales ops in a nutshell and and what would you say is is sales enablement so so that's a, again a good question i i go by the textbook definition and textbook today is wikipedia so if you if you look it up online sales operations is uh, the gamut of functions that you just called out so if you if you look at wikipedia it will say that there are functions around sales data reporting there are functions around sales incentive there are functions around sales enablement which is more of training and coaching and enabling the the sales teams in go to market and there are functions around chief of staff uh, or or you know things that are like leadership uh, support in terms of uh, decision making so so that is, that is also my definition and also something i relate to because i see sales operations being the overall umbrella function under which you have sales enablement as a, as a key function that comes out uh, and and to your question uh, sales enablement if i have to focus on that further is is uh the function that really helps a sales rep or a sales leader or anybody in the sales organization front facing join in support them right from the first day of onboarding the 30 60 90 day plans make them more effective productive make sure they hit their targets and once they are on that winning spree then help support them in terms of what's more relevant so for example uh, there's a, there's been a winning sales rep for 2 years in the in the organization but now with with covid times what's more relevant it's virtual selling what's more relevant it's about how to win a sale on on uh, on a zoom call right exactly. so so making sure you you are ahead of those uh uh kind of times and making sure then you enable uh, on a timely basis your your sales organization is is that's the team uh, which is sales enablement who does that uh from end to end uh, uh life cycle of the sales person in your company while sales operations coming back to it or zooming out in that is a like i said an umbrella function you have various aspects like sales enablement so there's the chief of staff which is the overall element there's the execution teams around uh sales reporting sales data making sure you execute on your commissions incentives your sales budget planning you also have the what i call as the backbone functions on process and documentation who make sure there's a very good repository of all the rules of engagement for the sales people of all the process documents of your strategy documents or making sure it's 
available in a, in a very search friendly manner for the sales leaders or the sales people to find it on a timely basis uh, so so that those are the three distinct parts i would say uh, that that uh, uh, come under uh, sales operations at umbrella so i love that so it's it's for, for those of you you know listening and watching it's sort of like sales ops is all things <laughs> all things sales within the organization how do we keep that operation moving forward with with an emphasis on you know reporting and data and numbers analytics we talked about the incentives as well so it's really looking at the whole the backbone and the back end of the sales function overall as a overarching umbrella and then sales enablement is a function of that and it's really around how can we provide our sales team with the tools, the resources, the learning, everything they need to enable them to win deals. So that's where training comes in and coaching comes in. And what I love about this, Vishal, is you know when, when I'm talking with organizations about doing sales training, when they approach us for sales training, and we've worked with your team as well, which is really exciting. We just did a session a couple weeks ago with 200 of your reps from across the region. That was really fun. And before we do any kind of a training intervention, and you'll appreciate this, we first have to find out, well, is training the answer? Because quite often training isn't the answer. There could be an operational challenge that needs to be addressed. There could be something in terms of that the team doesn't have the resources or tools that they need. So it's sort of like a lot of organizations jump straight to training when in fact there could be something else that they need to address first. And then training comes in to fill any of those gaps that, that, are, that are left. What, what's your sense about that, Michelle? No, no, I, I think you're spot on. And, and that's where I said, right? I mean, again, in terms of sales enablement, of course, you have your textbook role where you onboard a sales rep with your company's fundamentals, uh, about the processes, tools of your value proposition. Then, of course, you make sure they're successful. So that's the textbook part of it. The more relevant part actually is, is uh, you know, after the sales rep has been in the system for so long, making sure you course correct your enablement or training needs uh, to make it more relevant for today. So, so from that perspective, it can be something uh, that's that's uh, about uh, the changes in the industry, uh, macro changes uh, in terms of overall trends in the market. Mm -hmm. It can be changes uh, in terms of your value proposition vis-a-vis -vis others, uh, uh, and and what's what's kind of lacking? Is it only the price? Is it is it the value that you provide for which you you ask for for a higher price for that? So so uh, is that the issue? Is or or are sales not making their numbers because of of let's say pricing? If they're not making numbers because of industry changes, or if they're not making uh, numbers because of let's say something like COVID, and then finding that first, and then making sure you tailor your training needs and coaching needs uh, to to kind of make sure they're successful by by solutioning those needs uh, is, is where enablement becomes so more important. You know, you know, case in point, obviously with COVID this year, every single sales rep pretty much on the planet has had to adjust the way they sell. If you were in outside sales before, you know, good luck. Now you're, now you're in inside sales. Uh, you're not going to trade shows. There's no conferences or conventions. You're likely not meeting with customers in their office. They may not be coming down to your office. So now every single person who was an outside sales rep is now an inside sales rep. So it's like, how on earth do I become an inside sales rep? And even if you were an inside rep before and you relied heavily on you know, the phone, WhatsApp, or email, well, it's time to get really good at social selling. 
Check out the books over my shoulder. I wrote the book on social selling five years ago. I've been trading on this for 10 years. Now, finally, the world is catching up to the need to actually do social selling. So I'm excited about that. But most of the programs that we've been delivering this past year during these COVID times has been around how to sell in a virtual environment. So it's like you're saying, Dishawood, it's, it's all about doing that training needs analysis, finding out what the skills gaps are, and then how do we then provide the team, how do we enable the team to, to sell in this new situation? And, and something that you touched on that I thought was really um, uh, cool was that, that evolution of sales ops and sales enablement since the 90s, how it shifted from being sales operations as, as a commodity, you know, like, well, we, we just need to get this done, right? Someone's got to do it, to sales ops as a capability. And then you started talking about uh, sales operations as a competitive advantage. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I think I'll, I'll go back to my, my analogy of, of the, the co-driver or navigator, right? So uh, it's become a competitive advantage now because the stronger the sales uh, operations leader or the stronger the navigator you have, the better chances you have of winning that race. So the better insights you get, the more timely insights you get. Uh, the more value-added insights you get from the experience of the navigator uh, having sat with other drivers before uh, is, is what really adds value. So, so from that analogy, right, if, if I have now been in uh, three different industries, so, so when I move from something like a Red Hat, which is subscription-based sa sales and services, to uh, more like a B2C, C2C in, in Carousel, I, I bring some level of expertise and knowledge that does not exist here in terms of process and capabilities and tools and then adding that knowledge and kind of balancing it it's, it's not one size fits all but kind of uh, using or reusing that knowledge to to best fit it for our needs here makes us stand out in terms of how we go to market as a sales organization or a commercial organization uh, compared to uh, let's say any other competitor and and that would be the same in any other company or industry which has a very strong sales operations team uh, because that's now like I said become a competitive strategic advantage uh, in terms of making sure the sales team is more successful. This is great so can we dive a little deeper and talk about uh, you know visual insights so visual insights versus data reporting, right? We hear a lot about data reporting, big data, numbers, all of this. So, you know, something that I really found interesting in, in a session that you did a couple weeks ago was around the distinctions between visual insights versus data reporting. So let's talk about that. Uh, sure, Tom. So I think uh, at a very high level, right, like when I keep talking about the evolution, uh, somewhere in between when I said we were a uh, 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 from a commodity to a capability is where we, we started getting, I would say, drowned into data as well as people before we had, you know, smarter AI-based uh, data tools uh, coming out, which are coming out now. But what, what that means is uh, we became an assembly line of reports uh, and number crunching and, and presentations. So I still remember, uh, not to name names, but I, I was working for one of the top three uh, software companies uh, in the world. Sorry, which one was that again? So this is in 2009. <laughs> I'm just I'm just joshing with you because you said you're not going to name names. So I just tried to do a little trick there. Anyway, go ahead. No, no, no. Okay, so this is this is exactly uh, 10 years ago. And, and I was part of the sales operations team. And I still remember it was such a factory assembly line kind of a job where you have set templates, set reports, set slides, 
and all you do as a sales ops analysis team is just fill them and then because you you you've learned to fill them over a period of time it's so so much similar you've just built a macro code to kind of fill up those sheets and and slides and finish that work in an hour instead of 9 hours and then just chilling for the remaining 7 hours or 8 hours of the day um but 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 that's what i mean uh, you know people used to do that a lot as and i i to be honest i still see a lot of old school teams uh, do that a lot where they're still using formats from 5 years ago of of doing uh, forecast reviews or qbr reviews right so something kind of like this visha yeah yeah so this is good right so so this is like a sales report uh, that i was showing so it, it's not that it's incomplete it shows everything you need to see for the year you see person wise uh, comparison of the numbers you see seasonality you see uh, what was the overall seasonality of the team what was the mix of of the report but but the sales operations team used to just give this report to the leader and then just ask them to kind of digest it themselves uh, right. from there now when you talk about visual analytics uh, the big churn that i see is like i said some some uh, time ago is that sales leaders have a very short attention span now what you need to feed them is not with data and pie charts and graphs but it, it's with insights of the business it's with the navigation that will help them uh with better decision making so so if if you can also maybe show that the other slide uh which is basically something like this it's it's about very key insights from every quarter that shows uh you know maybe in q1 we we had a very good uh, revenue because of season quality in q2 uh, q4 look, looks very low but that's probably because of uh, uh, uh bad seasonality then maybe the revenue mix was uh, x and y the churn rate was z productivity went up uh, you know uh, pipeline overall looks weaker for the for the remaining two quarters so it's about actionable insights rather than giving data on telling the sales leader on what they need to go and solve rather than giving them a sheet of of data numbers and graphs for for them to kind of self digest so so that's what i mean by visual insights one it, it it's human psychology if you look at a sheet of numbers when you have uh, 24 1 hour meetings uh, for the rest of the day we're being double and triple booked versus looking at just four numbers that are like in a visually appealing format that register is is something that what visual insights really help you with. Well, I love that Vishal because, you know, whenever I get some data, you know, for example, I just got uh, you know, some financial statements from from our year end. Um, we got two companies, so I was looking at two of them. And it can be exhausting looking through every single thing, right? So, then I say, you know, what 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 are the what are the top 5 key findings? You know, what what do we really need to pay attention to here? and let's just you know s- summarize that um same thing you know we were looking at uh, google an- analytics as well um or or yeah our, our 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 traffic on our website earlier today and you know i saw some some numbers and it was sort of like my question is you know what did you find most insightful right what did you find most useful what's most interesting and then and then how do we take action on that which you and i will talk about later on but i think you know having this the key highlights is super important you know here's something else that I could share as well that I think you'll 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 find interesting absolutely yeah and and this shows uh, like you like I was just saying right what are the key actionable insights or what's the analysis i need to drive back home in terms of what i see in terms of the data and and that's the role of the new age sales ops leader now uh, to kind of make sure that they translate it for for the leader rather than just give numbers So this is great. So for example, this is this is data actionable, well I won't say actionable data, but this would be uh you know more more highlights 
of, of wins or, or just data overall that sales ops could share with the team, for example, and say, all right, team, good news. Team John had 10% higher win rates, you know, quarter on quarter. So well done. And then maybe unpack that and go, so John's team, how did you do it? How did you do that? We had 34% more opportunities sourced. Great. How much was inbound versus outbound? What were some of those outbound activities that you did? What's working? What's not? Let's do more of what's working, less of what's not. 40% larger deal sizes. Well done. How are you doing that? Oh, by simply asking, you know, can, can we double that order or would you like more? Or is it, you know, we're upselling more. So is it a demand-based thing or is it more the team is actually asking for larger deal sizes? If so, well done. Keep it up. Um, 63% influenced revenue. How, 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 what, what do you mean by influenced revenue? Uh, so uh, you are, uh, it, it can mean different things in this particular context. It purely means uh, repetitive revenue versus actual one revenue. So, so if you look at today's internet or software companies, they are in a subscription business, which okay. means you sell you something like and then- it Monthly recurring revenue or annual recurring revenue? Correct, correct. So this is more of uh, new revenue or, or influence revenue that came in from the total versus what was the recurring part. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. So that's in addition to the ARR or the MRR, for example. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So, so this is something that someone could look at, snapshot, and go, got it. I've got a really good picture of what that last quarter uh, had for us. Love that. So why don't we now transition into kind of health metrics versus just sales reporting. And I've, I've always felt like, you know, reporting for the sake of reporting <laughs> is, um, I mean, it keeps some people employed and keeps them busy. But at the end of the day, you know, it creates a lot of busy work because the reality is, you know, a lot of sales reps are spending, you know, less and less time on sales activities than they used to. So how can we kind of get back to sellers doing more of what they do best? How can we get leaders and managers doing more of what they do best instead of kind of reading reports? So um, maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, health metrics. What are some, some, some key sales health metrics? So, so that's a, a very good question again, Tom. So I think what, what he spoke about earlier was more of ad hoc reports. If, if someone asks you for a team report and, and you send that out, what, what we're talking about now is more of standardized reports or packs that you sent out, right? So... So what, what sales leaders often do or fall into this trap of keep looking at dollar-based metrics. So what's the sales number? What's the revenue number? Maybe at the most, what's the, the profitability number? And, and kind of start ignoring the rest. Uh, what that puts you in a trap, especially in a position like COVID, depending on the kind of business you are. So for example, right, you may have sold really big deals in Q4 of last year before COVID, and then your COVID Q1, Q2 revenue is so high because you sold a lot of subscription deals, but that doesn't really tell you anything about the health of the business. It just makes you think you are doing very good on revenue and act in, actual, in actuality, Q1, Q2, you've not done much sales. So your Q3 and Q4 is going to be very bad. So, so that's where health metrics becomes very important, where you kind of size and, and slice and dice the business and, and make sure you show it in a full, uh, fully correct uh, and, and from the whole 360 degree uh, uh, angle of the business to, to make sure you show everything uh, that's relevant. So, so for example, what you're showing is, is just some uh, of, of the key things you can show, right? But, but if I have to kind of give you another analogy is, is 
when you do reviews in in, a, in your forecast call, instead of just looking at, oh, so what's how's your eyesight and, and how are your ears? Instead of that, you go through a full body scan mm. one by one. And it just has to be a, 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 you know, traffic light. It just has to be a quick scan and not a detailed surgery. It's not a solutioning call. You just go through top to bottom. Is it green, 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 yellow, green, green, or oh, red? Okay, take an action to, to double click mm. on that, uh, you know, uh, as a, a, a side note. So, so that's what I mean by health metrics, right? You go through this weekly ritual or bi-weekly ritual, depending on the uh, complexity of your business. And then you look at everything. You just don't look at sales revenue and profit. You look at what's your productivity per sales headcount. If your sales is going up, but productivity is going down, which means your headcount cost is going up. Is that sustainable? And, and why is that productivity going down? What's your, what's your average gross profit versus cost of sales versus net profit? Uh, what's, what's your, you know, overall, how often have you been hitting your targets? So maybe your sales is growing 20% quarter on quarter, well, that's probably because you're in a disruptive business where the industry is going at 50%, which means you're, you're not really making your numbers. So is it, are you still relevant? Uh, will you still be relevant, right? So these kind of things is, is what the, the health metrics or the 360 degree metrics uh, help you uh, kind of gauge. And, and it's very subjective to different businesses. For example, we, we have a similar thing here at Carousel. Uh, we call them as uh, WBRs or weekly business reviews. It's a weekly ritual of doing exactly that, which is we look at different aspects of our consumer marketing team, our growth team, our compliance team, our IT team, our commercial team, and go through this whole gamut of, of metrics and slides where, to be honest, it's, it's like a 150 slider. Uh, uh, but but we just do it in like 30, 45 minutes because like I said, it's not about going into the details. It's just making sure Looking that- for the red light, green light, right? Yes, uh, how, how the number's trending overall, right? Uh, so which is which is very big in, in our business in terms of our traffic and footfalls and conversions and uh, our sellers achieving success or not. It's just not about selling to them. It's about making sure they're successful so that they retain and, and they stick with us. So So- yeah, that's that's what basically health metrics is about. So, how do you how do you all at Carousel define uh, pipeline quality? So, uh, so Carousel is is a very unique business. Uh, we we have a sales life cycle of two to five days, which is which is very different from uh, you know the software industry that I come Can from. Can I have your life cycle, your sales cycle, please? <laughs> yeah. okay i wish i had a number on that but uh okay but but yeah so so with that unique uh two to five day cycle on on our what we call as the classifieds business which is more of our verticals of like autos properties goods electronics uh versus maybe a one month to one and a half month life cycle on our media business which is where mm -hmm. we have more of account managing media agencies for running campaigns with us so if i look at both uh separately uh, our pipeline quality or our pipeline health for, for media is, is pretty good because they have all of these different deals, campaigns uh, that they're trying to work with the Singapore government, with uh, maybe, you know, different top media agencies in Singapore, Philippines, Hong Kong uh, to kind of do campaigns with us uh, for their customers uh, so that the customers uh, in turn are, are more successful uh, versus something which is classified where health of pipeline doesn't really mean much. But what's a proxy to that is the volume of leads uh, that we can give to the sales team. Because 
given that they are doing two to five day cycles, they need to continuously be pumped with a lot of uh, actionable leads from our lead generation or trade marketing teams uh, that will make the sales team more successful. So then getting different sources of leads, whether it's through uh, you know uh, databases that are public, whether it's through just manually uh, doing an event in a mall and, and signing up all the different traders or, or you know merchants in that mall and then uh, giving those leads to the salespeople, so so that becomes more relevant uh, than than pipeline. But but given that you're asking this question, um, the way to to gauge health of a pipeline was was more relevant in in something that I did in my past jobs, uh, which which uh, was very subjective to to every sales leader. So I was managing APAC in my in my previous role, where uh, you know it's it's super funny how you have to gauge the personality and the, the culture of the sales leader when you have to assess the health of their pipeline because mm-hmm. if you're looking at as if you're reviewing uh, the the japan business leader uh, as an apj head uh, and you're asking them about or looking at their pipeline you know that their pipeline is if, if the the target of pipeline is 2.5 or 3x they will have 3x of pipeline there and they'll always follow all processes to the T. They'll have the right probabilities, the right stages mark versus something like in South Asia or, or you know, ASEAN uh, outside of Singapore or, or India where you'll see nobody gives any damn about what's in Salesforce or what's in your CRM. They'll put it in Salesforce. They'll put it in Salesforce just as, it, as it's about to close. Yes, exactly. So, so that's why you have to be very subjective in terms of kind of giving those actionable insights to your APAC leader then saying whether your business is healthy or not, looking at all of these subjective uh, parts of your business culture, uh, data, and then stitch it all together as an actionable insight to your leader saying, okay, you need to go and, and make sure we need to double click on the India business because we think something's wrong there in terms of the, the health metrics. And right. you know we, we may have a whole two quarters down the line, so we need to fix it now. So, so those kind of things is what you need to look at. Well, it's interesting because obviously if, if the pipeline quality is poor, then I mean, how's an organization supposed to do any forecasting? Yeah, yeah, exactly. How can we do any planning, right? Yeah. So interesting. So the reason why I pointed that out, Vishal, around pipeline quality is because um, you know, more and more we're doing uh, more trainings on uh, MedPIC for you know, qualification of opportunities, but also for pipeline management. So that's been really, really popular. And I love uh, MedPIC as a framework for uh, assessing the quality of an opportunity and, and what could go wrong in this deal. Um, it's a quite a robust framework. Is this something that you all use for, um, obviously not for the classified side, but more for the, like the, the media side? Or, or, or... So, given that we are a startup, to be very honest, right, we started our monetization teams uh, in, in the formal way only a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we just got our CRM launched in the last four months across at least four of our countries. Uh, and then we plan to do more soon. Uh, what I mean is we, we are still uh, taking baby steps in, in putting the foundation together. We have not yet reached mm-hmm. the stage of uh, uh, opportunity qualification. But uh, again, maybe to give you uh, the same answer from matured businesses like my past uh, couple of uh, stints, well, we used to have our own definition of, of uh, uh Opportunity qualification again, not to name names, uh, but but uh, the the most interesting that I really saw was very relevant in the software subscription uh, kind of business, which was uh, uh, the typical longer uh, sales cycle, uh, one to three months or sometimes six months, mm. uh, was what we used to call as three degrees of freedom. 
This was uh, an intern three, three, three degrees of, of freedom. freedom. Okay, I like that. All right, everybody, write that down. Three degrees of freedom. Here we go. Yeah. So, so there was uh, customer budget, there was uh, customer time, uh, and customer decision. So, so what it means is, does the customer have the budget for what they want to do? Yes or no? Simple yes or no. Okay. Yeah. Does the customer has the customer taken a decision of whether they want to buy this or not yes or no or is it like going through the internal discussion phase and is the customer ready to do it today or do they want to do it in q1 or do they want to do it in q3 depending on these three you qualify your opportunities and say if you have three degrees of freedom means it's a commit if it's definitely something that's going to come in if it's two degrees of freedom it's more like your upside or kind of you know somewhere in uh, 60 to 70% probability. If it's one degree of freedom, then it's probably somewhere like a pipeline stage of 25 to 50% probability. So, so that's something I saw being very effective because like I said before, not everybody puts uh, or, or updates Salesforce correctly. Right. But then at least for the top deals, which may like, if you look at the, uh, from a Pareto perspective, the top 20 deals will probably be 80% of your sales for the quarter. If you do the three degrees of freedom only on those top deals across APAC, uh, you're good for the quarter in terms of making sure you're more effective. You know, I, I like that. So th whether it's that or whether it's, you know, a simple framework like band, you know, we've, we've developed a, a very simple one as well called the three A's of qualifying. You know, what's the ask? Is there a clear ask and need? Um, are you dealing with someone who has decision-making authority? What's that process? And uh, can they afford it? So there's the budget, the three A's, ask, afford, authority. Whether it's that, whether it's this, whether it's BANT, <laughs> budget, authority, need, timeline, or MedPIC, which is very robust, comprehensive. Anything that's going to help create some um, um, consistency in how reps e assess or evaluate the quality of a deal. Uh, because, you know, what, what you think is good versus I think or someone else thinks, and we're like, wait a minute. We have all these deals in closing, but which ones have the, the best chance of closing, to be, to be real, right? So I think having something consistent like that is, is really great. Um, well, it helps. You can, yeah. Sorry, Sorry. go ahead, Vishal. No, no, it really helps in poking holes through uh, balloon forecast, right? Because if someone's saying it's a commit and then you realize that, you know, that the budget decision, uh, or you don't even know the budget yet or the, uh, maybe the decision making has not happened yet, then, then, you know, it's, it's not right. And then, like you said, then you can make sure there's a simple yardstick and a baseline to compare different uh, countries forecasts together. Definitely. You know, some, something that, um, that I do with, with my sales team, we got a small team, only three people, you know, we got 10 packs on the whole team, three people, on the sales team, but it allows me as a sales leader to really, you know, kind of launch these new ideas with the team and see what works, and then we can we can scale it, right? Um, is we've got this thing that we call, you know, red red team blue team exercise, a red team blue team exercise, and this is an exercise that was kind of developed by the military. It's used more in in a military sense, and also with um, you know hackers and technology. So this whole concept of the red team, blue team is the red team attacks and the blue team defense. So here you could have um, one of your sales reps is on the red team attacking one of the reps on the blue team and really basically asking them, you know, how, how strong, like what could go wrong? What could go wrong with this deal? And the red team attacker is asking with a number of different levels of qualification. If it's med pick, it's like metric, economic buyer, uh, decision cr criteria, decision process, 
uh, paperwork, uh, uh, identified need, uh, uh, or sorry, identified pain, uh, competitors, uh, champion. So it's going through each of those criteria for MedPick and asking them, so what could go wrong there? And asking them some very specific questions that we train in. It's a totally different topic. We're getting off topic. But, and, and, and then they self-rate from zero, which is like we have no idea. One, we have some idea. And two, crystal clear, rock solid, that's locked in. And it's basically what could go wrong with this deal. So these red-blue exercises are, are really, really uh, um, helpful for making sure that your deals um, go across. And then if you find, like what you were saying, you've got green, 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 red. If you see something that's red or something in your, in your opportunity that is like a zero or a one, it's a great opportunity for the rep to then go back and, and, and fill that gap. Maybe ask the prospect, hey, um, can you help me understand again, how will this decision be made? Uh, who initiated this request, et cetera, et cetera, to try to fill those gaps. Um, can we um, uh, talk about predictive preemption? I, I love this concept, and I, I first heard you introduce this at the Sales Enablement Collective um, Festival uh, a few weeks back. This, this idea of predictive preemption versus reactive support. Can we talk about that? Yeah, sure, Tom. And, and this is something that's the most personal uh, to my heart. I've, uh, I've always been asked, uh, you know, what makes me tick and, and what makes me successful? And to be honest, in, in two simple words, it is predictive preemption. And I think I need to trademark those words now. But it's something I just randomly... You've done it right here. Trademark, TM. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, no. Uh, so so to give some context to your viewers and, and listeners is, uh, you know, you've got to realize that that uh, working as a sales operations uh, is always a, a teamwork in terms of compatibility with your sales leader, right? Or your sales team or your sales leadership team, uh, which means it's, it's more like a relationship building. It, it's a lot of chemistry. It's, it's more of making sure you are the person that fills in the gaps uh, from your sales leadership team or from your sales leader. So, so compatibility becomes extremely important. What that means is uh, what's worked for you in one job or in terms of one role, in terms of providing insights or reports or material or decisions is never going to be the same uh, with your next job because every single leader is different. Mm -hmm. so, so that's where you need to really find the right chemistry you need to find the right compatibility you need to see what your leader is good at whether your leader is someone who's old school and carries a notebook around and writes all the meeting notes or okay. someone who's using three devices uh, on the desk and, and kind of trying to uh, you know uh, work uh, juggle their way through through their own decision making and an execution process and and basis that you need to come up with with the right level of preemption uh, and, and in terms of the same analogy I keep giving as the third time probably is, is about the, the rally car, right? If, if you're just going to keep talking about, uh, you know, the rear view mirror, if you're just going to fixate on one type of metric and, and keep saying, oh, historically, we've done this. Historically, our seasonality has been this. Historically, our pipeline conversion has been this. But then you've got a sharp turn coming up ahead and you've got to watch exactly. out for the wall, right? Exactly. So so if you're not looking at the windscreen at the same time and the side view mirror and the left uh, mirror and, and, and your, your speed gauge and, and, you know, in terms of your navigation, what's the degree of the turn? If you're not preempting those turns, if you're not preempting the, the 
the acceleration. You're not preempting what kind of speed you need to maintain or run through. And then feeding those kind of uh, insights to your execs, they won't be supremely uh, successful. Of course, they, 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 have, they are leaders themselves. You're here to support them. I'm sure they'll, they'll succeed anyways uh, if they're good leaders. But how can you make the relationship uh, multiply where one plus one becomes five mm-hmm. and you're able to really add extra value through your preemptive insight. So that's why you need to preempt the industry. You need to preempt the market. You need to preempt your product. You need to preempt your value proposition. And, and this is where a lot of, lot of my sales ops colleagues start getting a bit uncomfortable when I start using uh, these kind of examples is where they think their job is purely the Wikipedia definition of providing those uh, you know, points of enablement and data and insights and let the sales leader go and figure it out on, on what they want to do. So, but unlike that, if you want to really make the business successful, you got to you got to run it like you own it. You got to be a co-navigator, like thinking that you are the driver. And I need to preempt every single step of the way. I need to provide insights uh, across the business, across the metrics uh, that are relevant uh, and and can be relevant, and and make sure that that your leader is successful. So that's where uh, the preemptive part uh, of preemption becomes really really important. So I'm just showing on screen right now sort of four areas that, um, you know, are, are, are worth kind of, you know, preempting, right, Look, looking at. Do you want to kind of talk us through these? Yeah, absolutely. So, so this is just an example of, of mm-hmm. you know, what can be relevant. So instead of just talking about your uh, data of pipeline and, and in terms of uh, sales productivity metrics or others, uh, what you can also do when you're doing your planning sessions, QBR sessions, is you look at the market. So, so let's say, Taking today's example, you say, oh, we are in COVID. And then if someone's asking, or let's say finance typically will ask you the question, oh, well, last year, this time we are growing 25%. Uh, this year, we're only growing uh, five. Why? Mm, why? Uh, yeah, duh, because we didn't have COVID <laughs> last year. <laughs> so you're going you're gonna to look at the market. Uh, at this, and and the, it can be the, on the flip side as well. If you're already growing at the same pace, it really means you are in a, a good industry. But, but like I said some time back, if you are growing that 20 versus the market being uh, 30% higher than you at 50, then then something's wrong. If you're at the market level or exceeding, then 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 it's good. Uh, similarly, in terms of product, uh, you know, uh, do we need to we need to continuously evolve our offering, especially if you're in a tech space or you know a social uh, kind of uh, space that we are as Carousel. We need to continuously adapt our product and to listen to our consumers. We we also need to make sure. We have our eyes on the ground in terms of our competition, uh, in terms of what they are coming up with. And sometimes it's some what I keep calling is copy with pride because uh, at the end of the day, you're evolving the whole ecosystem, right? It's, it's not about uh, uh, just, it's, it, selling is not a monopoly, right? Or, or no product is a monopoly. Of course, trademark products are, but, but this is more about the, the value proposition itself in terms of evolving uh, yourself. So make sure your value proposition product is in line, whether it's about hiring, um, and saying, okay, we have uh, we are in COVID preempt. Uh, the other example I gave, we had a very good quarter in Q4. Our revenue is good in Q1, Q2, but we are quite sure it's going to be softer Q3, Q4. So cost of sales may take a hit. Do we still need to continue hiring or should we pause till mm-hmm. the market recovers, right? So these kind of decisions where people may just look at numbers for today and think, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. But, but then you need to tell your execs, no, think about three quarters down the line. And it's not that every time you need to, I'm sure your execs are smart enough to, to do that as well. Uh, but just about making sure if they don't, you, you need to have. And so that's what I keep saying. You need to fill the gaps 
that that they are missing out it's not that you need to do the exact same things every time mm-hmm. but you need to just fill the gaps that that they are missing out and lastly it can be operations about your budget about your automation uh, productivity and others so so these are just random examples but like i keep saying it's very subjective in terms of uh, where you are and what you're trying to achieve yeah i think this is really great so it's preempting it's it's looking ahead and you know i i i'm reminded of this quote that that you shared as well a couple weeks back sales operations have continued to shift from being reactive to proactive and now need to move towards predictive okay so can we can we as we start to wrap up uh, our conversation here vishal can you talk about this need to move towards predictive yeah i think this is purely uh, mirroring the evolution that i've been talking about uh, you've been reactive in terms of fulfilling uh, in the 1990s and 2000s uh, as as a, a commodity function to getting more proactive in terms of being seasoned leaders and and trying to understand what are those needs you need to fulfill to becoming predictive in terms of understanding your business as I'll keep saying again and again that the co-driver or the, the navigator of, of the business and making sure you predict, uh, you know, the 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 speed at which you need to go at. You predict uh, how you need to run the business. You predict how you need to hold the reins of the business, uh, so that every single step of the way you're joined in the hip with your sales leader to make sure they're more successful. And that's the only way. Sales operations will be relevant uh, in in the times of big data and AI, where uh, data crunching and numbers will probably go on to uh, get automated eventually what will really add value as sales operations professionals is those insights and and predictive preemption yeah so i i love i love everything about that and for the, for those of you who are really paying paying attention you know vishal lo- loves to use these these driving and racing metaphors he's a a, a self-proclaimed gearhead. He's mentioned to that me that a couple of times. He loves cars. What's your what, what kind of cars do you love, Vishal? I'm just curious. So we're getting off track a bit, but I, I couldn't I couldn't help myself. What are you, what are some of your favorite cars? It's uh, you, you'll actually be uh, surprised. It's mostly the SUVs. Uh, so really, really funky, big tire, four by fours. Uh, I love my sedans uh, as well, but but in terms of owning, I really like. to to have SUVs but like you know in in Singapore uh, having an SUV you can't really go anywhere uh, or or having a good car you can't really speed anywhere until the borders open but yeah. but I do love my motorbikes as well so so yeah. I, I I own an MV Agusta here uh it's, it's a street bike it's it's actually a cross between a uh um dirt bike and a street bike it's called okay. hypermotard uh as a genre so so yeah I, i own that here and i go out for spins every time i need to clear my head and i have a ducati nice. back in uh, mumbai as well did you ever did you ever check out uh f1 here in singapore i actually haven't uh and and i plan to but but yeah unfortunately it got cancelled last year yeah. but but uh yeah i haven't yet We've gone uh, two or three times, and it's a really exciting experience. I'm not a huge uh, Formula One fan, but it's a great experience. And now I've been watching this uh, new series on Netflix, the Formula One uh, Drive to Survive. Have you have you caught any episodes of that? Uh, no, not yet. But but it's on, it's on my list for this two weeks of leave of holiday. Yeah, where you can't sure. travel anywhere, so might as well <laughs> catch up on Netflix. So as as we wrap this up, you know, when we talk about you know data analytics and we talk about you know pr- predictive, uh, I would just add, I think there's there's one other layer to that, which is you know from from predictive, which is like what's what's going to happen, what are some of the trends, and how do we kind of you know predict 
what's, what's, you know, what 2021 will look like. But maybe the next level is prescriptive. And that prescriptive level is, okay, now that we've predicted, <laughs> now that we've predicted to the best of our ability what, what the future has in store, now we need to prescribe, right? Like, what are we going to do with that data? How do we turn this, you know, predictive data into actionable intel? A, okay, here's your, 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 your call to action, here's your charge, right? So what are your thoughts about that? I mean, I'm big on, we've got to use this data, not just for data's sake, but pr prescriptive. What do I do with this? And what do we do next? No, I think, uh, Tom, you've, you've kind of uh, hit the nail right right uh, on the right spot there. Okay, I'll trademark uh, that one. That's exactly where it will eventually lead on, right? Because you can first start adding value by, by the, the preemptive parts and then predicting parts, but it will actually then become BAU only when it then becomes as a BAU prescriptive uh, script in terms of uh, what are the different levers, what are the different things the, the safe leader should do and should not do. And to be honest, I, I do see it in some parts of the business. Like I keep saying, every leader is uh, very different. So they're, they're leaders who are like very, very dependent on their sales ops or, or their COOs, mm -hmm. uh, where, where they do rely on like scripted prescriptive material even for reviews or, or even decision making or, or uh, even in terms of uh, having... Uh, strategy documents or emails uh, being executed on. So, so that's already happening today. But you're right. Starts with predictive preemption. Once you have that that data, what do you do with it? You start prescribing it, and that's where it'll, it'll eventually evolve uh, and and kind of uh, become BAU. That's great. And when you say BAU, you mean business as usual. Is that right? Yes. Sure? Okay. So for all of you out there who aren't sure, we use SOPs and, you know, quarter QBRs, SOPs. Oh, guy, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. We know, away from my... we, we know, just making sure everyone is, gets it and they're on the same page. Vishal, this has been a great conversation. I could, we could keep this going forever, but I think our, our time is up. What are some final thoughts or, you know, a call to action? I'd like to end with like a call to action. So we've talked about everything from operations to uh, enablement, uh, analytics. What should sales leaders be focusing on right away? Well, I, I, it's always been the same uh, for me. Uh, it's probably one or two words. One is change <laughs> and then two is be relevant. So whether it's sales leaders or sales ops or actually any, any role in any industry, you've got to be really be ready for change. So COVID is a very fine example, such mm -hmm. unprecedented times. Anything that was textbook a year ago is, is completely irrelevant today. And, and that's why the, you will be only successful as a company, as a business unit, as a team, as a person, if, if you are always adapting to change. And then be relevant is making sure uh, you're more relevant, whether it's in terms of your product, your market, uh, your fit uh, of the company or yourself as an individual or a team uh, and, and the, the value you bring to the table. I, I would say that that would be the, the key things as call to action, which are relevant at, at any point of time, um, at, at any part of a career. That's great. Words of wisdom from Vishal. Number one, leaders out there, be open and willing to change. you got to do it or else the world will change you. And number two, you've got to be relevant, especially relevant to your customers. All right. Thank you so much, Vishal. It's been a pleasure having you on this podcast. Um, can people connect with you on LinkedIn? Of course, yeah. 
Excellent. All right. We'll put that link in the show notes. Uh, thanks again, Vishal. Great to have you here. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for this great episode of the Selling in Asia podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye now. Bye.